This episode was recorded some weeks before the Taliban entered Kabul. If you're thinking of becoming an archaeologist, you should know that it's nothing like Indiana Jones. You're not going to be chasing down relics while escaping pits filled with vipers, or running from a massive boulder that's trying to crush you. If you remember those iconic scenes, you should know that they are utter trickery. Archaeology involves plenty of sitting and stooping, and very little running away from things, as it turns out. Lori talks about her graduate studies and her first dig, where she spent hours and hours baking under the sun in Cyprus, moving millimeters of dirt. And her time in Armenia, dunking dirt in water to see what floats to the surface. And she loved every minute of it. What's more, she bankrolled her work by slinging cups of coffee in an Atlanta cafe. This is Monuments Woman with Laura Tedesco. I'm your host, George Gavrilis. Today, we're continuing on Laura's journey into Afghanistan. If you're new to this podcast, we recommend going back to start with episode one. For everyone else, welcome back. Let's jump in. Where did your interest in archaeology come from? There was a little bit of an evolution to how I arrived at a deep passion for archaeology. And I'm going to come right out and say I never saw the Indiana Jones movies until I was in my 30s. Sometimes people will ask, was it that Indiana Jones movie? Is that what got you going on archaeology? And I wasn't avoiding those movies. I hadn't gotten to it. I just want to put that out front. When I started college, first semester freshman year, they've got the classes you must take, and then you got room for an elective. And I took anthropology, I think because it fulfilled a science requirement. And I wasn't super great at biology or chemistry. So I was like, oh, anthropology, that sounds interesting. And probably I'm not going to have to work with beakers and chemicals and Petri dishes. Within the first two weeks of this anthropology class, and I thank to this day the professor of that class because her style of teaching had a tremendous influence on me. Within two weeks, I was totally hooked on anthropology. I never wanted to do anything else. I was obsessed might be a little bit of a strong word. Yeah, why? Why? I understand that you liked that it wasn't a certain thing, but what was it about anthropology that you loved? As I became very gradually and at first very superficially familiar with the discipline of anthropology, I realized that it presented a way to address questions about the world that I had all along. I didn't know how to necessarily articulate those questions or in what kind of intellectual scaffolding to place my questions. But as I was getting to know anthropology in a 101 class, George, so this is not deep stuff. It was the way the teacher taught it. Somehow I got the language, I got the vocabulary. And I was like, this is infinitely fascinating to me. And then you have the way anthropology is structured. There's four subfields. I won't go into that. One of those subfields is archaeology. And throughout undergraduate years, I was just taking every anthropology class I could. There was nothing that was not interesting about it. May 27th, 1990, 
Calavasos, Cyprus. I've lived in the future to arrive here for too long, and now I'm here, and it feels funny being at this place because it's only been a fantasy so far. It's been an escape for what seems like ages. The fruitful labors of the archaeology, it's grueling and laborious. And here in the Capetra Valley, it's hot, tiring, but fruitful even if only for a tiny, shiny blue tessera. The tessera is the actual real part of the mosaic. It's the mosaic in my brain and in my body. It's excavation. The summer after my junior year of college, I was going to do summer school in a field school. I was fascinated by human evolution and hominins in East Africa. I was also fascinated with archaeology. So I was like, what do I do? Do I go to Ethiopia for the summer on a field school? Or do I go to Cyprus on an archaeological field school? I never imagined that the decision would impact the rest of my career, but it ultimately did. For reasons that are too tedious to go into, I ultimately picked the archaeological field school in Cyprus. It was a combination. It was the physical labor, the physicality of being involved in an excavation, the being outdoors all day. And I was then, I mean, hook, line, and sinker. I was like, okay, this is it. I don't want to do anything else. Archaeology is for me. This was summer? Yeah, it was, must have been June. What year was this? 1989, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. June 1990, maybe. I forget the precise year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Soviet Union's still around, isn't it? Oh, they are. Yeah. Anyway, so... I'm sorry. Can I ask you, though, what on earth makes it possible for you to tolerate Mediterranean heat on the back of your neck as you're stooped over dirt digging shit out of the ground? Every inch of my body would have been covered in sweat and sizzling. I don't remember the heat at all. I'm sure it was hot. Maybe it's because I grew up in the South. I don't know. I easily acclimate to heat. I prefer hot climates. In my memories of the first excavation in Cyprus in the middle of summer, nothing about the heat comes to mind. (laughs) What comes to mind is the excavation and the quality of the sunlight and that everything smelled like oregano or thyme and you're up before the sun, and all of that. So it it may seem odd, like maybe not everybody would like things like that, but it was tailor-made for me. That's funny, because I've been in places so hot, it almost ended my relationships, (laughs) you know, where you're so miserable, uncomfortable, you're bickering and hating on each other the whole time. Good for you. Good for you. You've painted this relatively romantic picture of going off to Cyprus, Mediterranean sun, gorgeous waters, digging statues out of the ground, gold wreaths. Not exactly what happens, right? No, hardly. Okay. Give us a one-on-one what it means to go on a dig as a student and to dig stuff up. What do you do? First of all, it's very tedious. It's extremely tedious. Some people would even say boring, Not to me, but I could get it if someone would say it was boring. It's physical labor. You are tediously using small tools. Let's say a trowel, an archaeologist's trowel looks a lot like a brick mason's trowel. Picture it as a flat triangular thing. Archaeologist's trowels are a little bit smaller than brick mason's trowels. 
you're scraping millimeters of dirt at a time over time to try to reveal what is buried in that dirt. Now, there may be instances where you're using shovels and things that can actually move larger quantities of dirt, but there's something a little bit Sisyphusian. Is that the word, George? Where Yeah, Sisyphian, yeah. Thank you. I think. I should know, right? You should, Greek man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, Greek heritage. Yeah, you can atone for that later. Anyways, you're drawing and you're taking notes and you're having to think spatially in reverse while you're excavating down into the earth. And as an undergrad trying to learn the nuts and bolts of archaeology, I was tasked with tedious stuff. Here's a bucket of dirt. Go sift that, Tedesco. Here's a pile of potsherds. Go wash those and lay them out to dry. It's not glamorous. It was the process of it that really captured me. There's nothing about archaeology that I find uninteresting. Remember that Italian videographer who knocked over a Buddha statue at Messinoc and broke it? Oh, yeah. How many archaeological relics have you broken over the years? Mm. Accidentally. Oh. Even small ones. I don't know. Probably it's happened. I'm sure it has, but I don't, I can't say. I'm just guessing maybe three where you accidentally drop something None of my mistakes were catastrophic. It's not like I would have been kicked off and sent home as like, okay, she's out. Hey, thanks for your honesty. Yeah. So how did Cyprus end? You left after discovering or learning what? At the end of that season, I determined I would go to graduate school for archaeology. I was like, if I want to do this seriously, I'm going to need a graduate degree to do it. Soon after I came back, I started applying to graduate schools And I ended up going to New York University. I didn't go to graduate school for a couple of years. I got into NYU. I deferred. I was working. What were you doing? I was working at a cafe serving coffee. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That was unexpected. And I was volunteering at the local museum. My paying job that put gas in my car was serving coffee and cake at a cafe. Well, right. That's what a lot of actors do before they become famous actors. It's what a lot of people do even when they don't become famous. That's very true. And I have my own story, not of serving coffee, but of folding T-shirts and shirts and sweaters at a store at the local mall in between Mm -hmm. college and grad school because I had no idea what I wanted to do. But I Mm -hmm. needed to do something. And I lived in a town without any jobs at a higher level than that. Sure. So it's not a bad skill to have if things fall apart, George. I'm really good at folding laundry. You should see me. I can make a mean cappuccino. (laughs) We'll trade. Yeah. September 20th, 1994. Surprisingly contented today. I'm walking silently, quietly along my path. I checked out the new apartment, trying to make it my own. I'm emerging back into school and life at last, immersing myself into the archaeology and trying to make something better. It's 65 St. Mark's Place, number nine, my address in the East Village, at last, having wanted to live there and acquired it at least for now. 
There's no chance I'll save money this year as I'd hoped. You eventually decided it's time for grad school. I did. I did. And I was so excited to move to New York City. I had wanted to live in New York since I was 11 years old. I was just waiting for the opportunity that I could move to New York City. And finally, I had an anchor, like grad school. I wasn't just flitting around New York. I had an anchor to be there. What's New York like in the 80s? Remind us. Well, okay. Don't make me that old, please. This was the early to mid-90s. Okay. So you made it to New York early 90s. I apologize for adding two years to you. No, you added four or five years, but we'll drop it there. (laughs) I was assuming late 80s, you know. (laughs) George, George, you know what New York was like? It was affordable enough that I could live in a studio apartment in the East Village on a grad student's salary. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There was still a grittiness But you knew if you just scraped a little bit of that grittiness away, the cool factor ran deep and the creativity ran deep. And that jazzed me like nothing. And grad school too, I mean, was thrilling, but it was the environment in which all of that was taking place. So it was great in the early mid 90s. How was it that grad school, though, triggered an interest in Afghanistan? My main professor in grad school, her name is Rita Wright. She was my PhD advisor. Another story for its own time, I think. Oh, it is. Talk about legend, Rita. She's still alive, and I'm still in touch with her many, many years later. But yeah, a topic for another time. Rita had cut her teeth in archaeology in Afghanistan in the late 1970s. And then when the Soviets invaded and she could no longer excavate in Afghanistan, she then moved her research to Iran. Well, then there was the Iranian revolution and she could no longer effectively do her archaeology in Iran. So she moved her research to Pakistan. So her entire area of focus, of research, of emphasis for archaeology was that region. And as one of her students, that was what we were taught that was the regional focus. Early in your graduate school, you've got to pick your own research topic and what sub-area are you going to be interested in. The Soviet Union had just collapsed and the Caucasus region was opening up to Western researchers. And I had an opportunity to join the first American-run excavation in Armenia at that time. I jumped on that bus. I went on an excavation in Armenia. And again, I already had this natural excitement. Armenia was brand new to me. I mean, I didn't know the capital of the country before I arrived there. Honestly, we didn't learn much about the subtleties of the Soviet Union in school. It was just one big entity. Armenia charmed me so beautifully, right? Atmospheric, outrageously. It's so beautiful. And the food, my finest food memories are from Armenia. And then the archaeology too, that was a driver because it presented so many possibilities for good work and discovery. Afghanistan's not a possibility at this particular time because... I mean, there's a civil war. There's an active civil war. Right. Mujahideen running around the place. 
Oh, it wasn't even on my radar. And you have to take into consideration at that time, a young woman, independent graduate student researcher going to certain countries wasn't tenable. It was a little bit of a bridge too far. Mm. I had to be conscious of that. And working in Armenia, post-Soviet era, women had for decades and decades under the Soviet system played prominent roles in scientific life. A woman archaeologist was not new or freakish. I could function there. I would get access to museum collections. I could interact with the Armenian men archaeologists, and it wasn't strange or weird. Armenia presented just a really interesting area of opportunity. The problem was I didn't speak Russian or Armenian. If you're going to be serious about your research, you have to know the language. So I spent nine years learning Russian so that I could do reputable and serious research. And I got through it, but please don't ever speak to me in Russian because I will have no idea what you're saying. Why is that? Nine years is a long time. It is. If you don't use it, you lose it. I can read a bit. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And what was it you were digging up in Armenia? What kind of a site was it? Oh, so it was. It was a mixed site, some late Bronze Age, early Iron Age settlement. That's what our excavation was focused on. The Urartian civilization. Have you heard of the Urartians? Oh, yeah. Okay, you have because you focus on Turkey and you know the <laughs> That's region. That's true, yeah. Anyway, it was a Urartian fortress, but also adjacent to this enormous Urartian fortress were these Bronze Age tombs. I was excavating both parts of the ramparts of the fortress for part of the season I was there. What does Bronze Age mean? Like what, yeah. what centuries are we talking about? So, I'm so glad you asked. So, Bronze Age, all right, to give it a ballpark, think five-ish thousand years ago, okay? We could go into more detail, but that's just to put a point on a calendar. Okay. So, 3000 BC, give or take a few hundred years. Wow. With respect to the fortress, I was in a portion of this enormous site. There were sub-teams of archaeologists mixed American and Armenian in different areas of this large architectural structure by large, let's say, a big mansion to put a size on it. I was in one corner of this mansion, so to speak, and corner walls constructed from solid blocks of stones. It's what you would call a Cyclopean fortress, like just enormous stone blocks stacked up to make a super strong defensive location. I was involved in excavating one of these corners. It's not just you're digging to find chase walls and the outline of a building. There are subtler things going on. You're looking at what artifacts are you finding along the way? Pieces of pottery, glass, stone tools, bits of metal, for example. And you want to look at even subtler aspects while you're excavating. Are you finding any remains of animals? Are there animal bones? That might indicate what people were eating. And were there? There were. Then one step further, we would collect samples of soil and we dump them in water and see what would float to the surface. We were looking in particular for seeds. Were the seeds wheat, barley? Were you finding any lentils? What else was coming up? And that gives you then a further insight into the natural environment at the time of the Bronze Age. 
the Urartian site was actually late bronze, early iron. It's not early bronze. So that's a little further in time along the timeline. So all of these bits of information that archaeologists gather, you're trying to piece together a story, a civilization or a community on incomplete information, but you need to patch that story together as best you can based on the architecture, the animal bones, the artifacts, the seeds, etc. All of that takes a lot of time. You've got to be able to hold multiple lines of constantly evolving information in your mind at the same time and be a natural storyteller. The Armenian story that you've started to tell is just the beginning because there's a lot more to come and to happen in Armenia, including a love interest. Yes. And that's before you even get to Syria. Correct. So there's a long road ahead of us to Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. To be continued. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'll get it out of you one way or another. You've been listening to Monuments Woman with Laura Tedesco. I'm your host, George Gavrilis. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To stay in touch, also follow us on Instagram at The Monuments Woman. Join us next week when we dive deeper. This show is produced by Christian D. Bruhn and May 11 Project. It is recorded by Audovita Studios and edited by Sean Hedinger and Greg Williams. The theme song is This Love by Ariana Delawari, featuring Salar Nader. Produced by Audovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.